able to welcome two very special guests to our church today. And I'm going to ask them to come up to the stage at this time. This is Dr. T. Lun Kim from Northeast India. He is the leader of the Kuki Christian Church Mission in Northeast India. This is my friend Tom Segelke from Lincoln. Tom is no stranger to our church. Been here before. He is the uh, president of the American Mission supporting the Kuki Christian Church Mission. Um, KCCM is one of our monthly mission partners, and they are absolutely getting it done in the name of the Lord in Northeast India. I'm going to give you one statistic, and then I'm going to give the microphone to Dr. Lun Kim. He's going to give a greeting, and I want Tom to talk for a moment as well. Tom is going back to India in early 2016. If you were to get on your computer this afternoon and do a demographic study of the nation of India, you would find that about 80% of the people living in India are Hindus, about 14% are Muslims, and less than 3% are Christians. In Manipur State, where the Kuki Christian Mission is based, it's about 40% Hindu and about 40% Christian. And all throughout Northeast India, the name of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. It was proclaimed this morning in India. They're about 12 hours ahead of us, and it's proclaimed daily and especially on Sundays. And a major, major reason why is the incredible work of Dr. Lun Kim. I can't tell his whole story today, and I don't say this. I'm an exaggerator sometime. I'm, I'm not exaggerating now. We are in the presence of a living legend who has changed his world, his context for Christ. So will you start by welcoming both of them this morning, please? Thank you very much. I don't feel this church. I am a stranger. I have been introduced in this church by Maxwell Render, Cyril Simpkins, Leroy Trollock, all of them have gone. Still, I am here with you. In my 89 years, I came back here. The first time I come here, I was scheduled to preach in the morning service. What happened at that time was in Lebanon, Beirut, American Embassy building was bombed. More than 100 American prisoners were Kill, And because of that, what I could not forget of this church is, well, it, we some heralds, we will all be crying, but you could smile and remain silent, endure. Your bravery is highly appreciated for me, and I will never forget this church. And you have been continuing supporting from that time on till today. And I think you have to double your support. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I have brought greetings from the churches, sister churches in Manipur and elsewhere, where the Kuki Christian Church has been working thus far. They all send their greetings to you, and I, on my behalf, greet you. Be brave as you were in the past I know of, so the church will grow in the midst of persecutions and suffering. This is not a new thing, and we should not be discouraged this. The first time I came, it was a small church. Now you grow so many people. I was amazed this morning when I look at the church full, and you are now so many come participate in this worship service. Thank you very much. 
as our last song said, set our church on fire. This church has been on fire for missions for many years. Clear back in the 80s, you were supporting this mission in Northeast India. And the fire has flickered and grown in this church. But as any, any campfire, you know, you have to keep flaming it. You have to keep wishing it and, and building the fire or it will go out. You know, when, we, when you became a Christian and you turned your heart over to the Lord, and when you were immersed, you know, you, you can't just dry off with a towel and think your, your task is over. It's just a commencement of your life with Christ. And the task continues, and you grow, and your task only begins as you serve the Lord. When you turn your life over to Christ, it's just the beginning of your work. Your work is to convert others and to search ways of serving the Lord. As we do that, we find other ways, those that we touch daily, those that we can reach out next door, in the next town, next state, people we can touch. Maybe some of you can't go to the other parts of the world. Uh, some of you have to work with those you touch daily in your jobs. That's your mission effort. And I want to encourage you to use every opportunity you have. Uh, Greg and I were able to go uh, almost two years ago and experience that, that thrill. You have the opportunity to, to share what you have, your resources, in giving to, not just to this mission at, in, in Northeast India, but you have the opportunity to share your life and your life resources, not just with money, but through your prayer partnership. And I thank you for what you've done, and I ask you to continue to do that. Uh, Greg, he didn't mention, but he happened to join our board because he has a passion. And I want to thank this church for your passion for ministry and passion for missions. And I pray that you'll continue that and you'll kindle that fire to always want to serve every way you can. God bless you. Somebody asked me before the service if I had forgotten that Halloween was yesterday and not today. And I do want to let you know why I and Tom and Dr. Lund Kim are wearing what we are. This is a, a kooky vest of honor. The, the, the kooky tribe that we talk about is a group of people in northeast India. And the kooky people have uh, fallen in love with Jesus Christ because of the work of the kooky Christian church mission. And this is uh, what I consider one of my most prized possessions, quite honestly. I was given this, uh, during, and Tom was given a vest when we were there to preach. And this is a vest that they give to people of high honor, to their kings. Now, I don't deserve this whatsoever. Um, uh, there are people so much more worthy than I am. But I'm very honored to wear it today and to, to share the stage with Dr. Lund Kim and Tom. Um, we are in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we did an overview and uh, we tried to do Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in about 25 minutes and we just kind of whetted your appetite, just gave you just a little taste of what we're going to experience and I want to throw up on the screen what this series is going to look like for the next six weeks. Today we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. Next week we're talking about the law and the prophets. Jesus addressed that question that sometimes we wrestle with. What do we do with the Old Testament? Does the Old Testament matter anymore? Or is it just a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts that aren't relevant for us today? Jesus talked about that. Two weeks from today on the 15th, we're going to talk about model spirituality. And Jesus talked about giving, and he talked about praying, and he talked about fasting, and he talked about a really challenging F word, forgiveness. 
What do we do with forgiveness? How's that flow in our life? Um, on the 22nd, we're going to talk about the things of heaven and the stuff of earth. And how do we handle worry? And how do we, we handle material possessions? And how do we store up treasure? The last Sunday in November, Adam's going to be preaching the first part of chapter 7. And how do we do what we do? And, and in Adam's sermon, he's going to tackle verse 12 of chapter 7, where Jesus said that all the law and all the prophets hinge on one phrase, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then we're going to wrap it up December 6 by looking at why it's so tough to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. Why Jesus said, build your house on the rock. But today, it's the kingdom of heaven. And my jumping off point is really what the whole Sermon on the Mountain is about. But especially today, this idea that Christ followers are called to be different. I'm called to be different, and you're called to be different. And there's a great conundrum there because for so many of us, we want to look like everybody else. We want to act like everybody else. We don't want to be weird. We don't want to be odd for God. But we are called to be different, to be distinctive, to be declarative. And that's the message of the Sermon on the Mount and especially the Beatitudes that we're going to jump in today. And so what I want to be kind of just flowing through your mind for the next several minutes is this idea that different is good. It's okay to be different. Different is good. And so with that, let's dive in. Two parts of the message today. Part one, what does the kingdom of heaven look like on earth? And part two will be, how do we live that out? But what does the kingdom of heaven look like on earth? And the answer is this, we live out the Beatitudes. We live the Beatitudes day in, day out. And I'll just tell you right now, Beatitudes are countercultural. You will not find some made-for-success TV seminar that's going to be espousing the Beatitudes. You will not read a a self-help book that's going to espouse the Beatitudes. Jesus was countercultural, and Jesus calls us to be countercultural. So with that, let's dive in. The Beatitudes, Matthew 5, beginning with verse 3. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so as I preach this sermon, I want you to, uh, to visualize a ladder. I thought about putting a big ladder on stage, but it wouldn't have looked very nice. But I want you to think of, of, of the idea of climbing up one rung at a time, and, and the goal is to, to get to Jesus. The goal is to look like Jesus. Now, we'll never get there. I'll never be Jesus. You'll never be Jesus. We'll never have perfection figured out. But that's our goal as we consider living the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Jesus starts with the poor in spirit. Verse 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. What's it mean to be poor in spirit? What's it mean to, to, to be down, to be discouraged? Nobody likes that. Nobody likes a Debbie down. You know, people that are just, they're always down. Life is always tough. You don't want to hang out with them. They're, they're no fun to be around. And here Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's he talking about? He's talking about spiritual bankruptcy. 
He's talking about this idea that I'm so broken, I have to lean on the Lord. And that really is countercultural. That really goes against the grain of who we are as Americans. I want to be proud. You want to be proud. You want to revel in your accomplishments. We want to rejoice in in what we have together and, and, and what we have accomplished and what we have achieved. But spiritually speaking, living the kingdom of heaven on earth begins with a spiritual bankruptcy. I'm so broken, I have to lean on the Lord. And some of you, you've been there. You've went through a storm of life. Maybe it's a personal storm of life. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's health. Maybe something playing out where where you were so broken, you couldn't do it on your own anymore. And Jesus says to you, that's a great starting point. That's where you need to be. That's where we need to be. The Apostle Paul experienced that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul talks about how he, he didn't ask the Lord. He begged the Lord to remove a thorn in his flesh. And there's a lot of speculation. What was he talking about? Did he have a disease? Some people think maybe he had like epilepsy. Other people think that there was actually a person that was causing great opposition and and troubled him. We don't know what Paul was talking about, but we know that three times he pleaded with God, God, just take it away. Take away that thorn in the flesh. And the answer from the Lord to Paul is a great answer for us when we find ourselves in that same place. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in what? Remember, in weakness. And then he goes on and talks a little bit more, but his his takeaway is this. When I am weak, then I am strong. That's spiritual bankruptcy. I can't do it on my own anymore. I got no pride left. I'm so broken, I have to lean on the Lord. Secondly, Jesus talks about those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Again, who likes to be sad? Who likes to cry? Who likes to be emotionally destroyed? Anybody enjoy going through? I don't enjoy that. And yet right here, Jesus said, blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. What's he talking about? He's talking about sorrow over your sin. The fact that Romans 3.23 is a truth in your life. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So when Jesus talks about those who mourn, he's talking about having sorrow over sin. I'm so sorry for missing the mark. I'm so sorry for falling short of the mark. The Apostle Paul knew something about that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul said, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. What a wretched man am I. Have you ever been so sorrowful over your sin that you found yourself saying, what a wretched man am I? Does your sin devastate you? Does your sin break you? Or are we guilty, and I've been guilty of this, of reveling in what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace? I know I'm forgiven. It's no big deal. God God will forgive me. It is a big deal. Because Jesus died on the cross because I've missed the mark. Because you've missed the mark. And Jesus says, blessed are you when you mourn you will be comforted. Third, 
Jesus talks about the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. When I think of meek, um, with kind of my American mind, I think of like a you know 110 pound guy, and he's at the YMCA trying to work out. He can barely even lift the bar. He doesn't even have any weights on, on the bar. He's just trying to barely get. That's what I think of when I think of meek. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is not talking about someone that is physically weak. He's talking more about our spirit, both inside and outside. And he's talking about someone who has a focused strength and power, a focused strength and power. Um, Let me share with you a revelation that probably won't be a revelation. People can be really difficult to get along with. And sadly, sometimes Christians can be the very worst. I hate that. I don't like it. I wish it wasn't the case, but... um, If we're not careful, we can really blow any witness that we have, any opportunity to be salt and to be light if we're out of control instead of under control. And so Jesus says, blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth. He's talking about a focused strength, a focused power, under control instead of out of control. And then number four, Jesus talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He says in verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Have you ever skipped a meal accidentally or skipped a meal just because you had to and you found like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you haven't had anything since the Wheaties at 6 a.m. and your stomach starts making noises and it's kind of pinging on the inside and people are looking at you because they can hear your stomach. That's a pretty miserable feeling for me, unfortunately. But you know what? A Snickers bar, some Belvita crackers, a ham and cheese sandwich, something, I mean, it just soothes it like that. It's just awesome. When you're so hungry and you're finally able to eat something or you're so thirsty and you're finally able to drink something, man, it's just awesome. And what the Lord says is, blessed are you if you're hungry like that, if you're thirsty like that for the Lord. You're hungering and you're thirsting for the Lord. It reminds me of the words of Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 2, taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you hunger for the Word of God? Do you thirst for, for spiritual nourishment? I, I think one of the real bummers for me with our culture right now, and I'm as guilty as anybody else, is we can get so busy doing and so busy with life and so busy with activities and so busy with recreation and so busy with just the stuff of this world that if we're not careful, man, we're not in the Word, or we're not in worship, or we're not in prayer, or, or we're not in fellowship with other Christians. And before you know it, you know, two, three, four weeks have passed, and we haven't even missed it because we've just been so busy. We've just been so distracted. And Jesus says, blessed are you when you're hungering for the Word, when you're thirsty for the Word. I didn't share this first service, but I was thinking about it during Sunday school when Tom and I traveled to India in February of 2014. Um, I had the opportunity to preach five different times, three times at the convention and once at the welcoming service and once at Seminary Chapel the day we went home. And the cool thing um, about all five of those messages was every single time, at least one, usually multiple people, Christians, came up and said, we want more. You didn't preach long enough. Now, I don't know that any of you have ever come to me and said, you didn't preach long enough today. Some, some of you actually have. That's a joke. But um, in America, man, we just want to get on to the football game. We just want to get on to Sunday lunch. We got things to do. We got people to see. We got places to go. 
When's the last time you just hungered for more? God, give me more. You just thirsted for more. Jesus says you're blessed if you do, and you will be filled. Well, the first four Beatitudes, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, they all relate to who we are on the inside. You know, the poor in spirit and the mourning and those who are meek and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The next four, the final four, are going to deal with how we act with others, how we act on the outside. How do we live the kingdom of heaven here on earth at work or in the neighborhood or even at church? And number five is the merciful. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Um, are you in the habit of modeling mercy in your life? Are you a person of mercy in your life? Do you have a passion to love the unlovely? I've had opportunities throughout my 20-plus years of ministry. People will come to me, and they'll say, I'm in a crisis, I'm in a storm of life, and I need you to pray that so-and-so will show mercy on me. That's a humbling request because it's out of my hands at that point. And, and, and it, you know, we're praying that a heart will be softened. We're praying that a, that a heart will be open to showing mercy. I found myself, I, I love when the Lord does this to me, kind of an object lesson in my face. Friday made a hospital call in Decatur, and Cody and I were going to hook up for lunch at the downtown cafe, and it was late, and he got lost. He couldn't find it. He was driving all over downtown Decatur. So I ended up having like 25 minutes. How do you get lost at the downtown cafe, Jim? I don't even know how you do it, but he did, but that's okay. So I'm there, and a homeless woman comes in. And, um, and I knew something wasn't right because she kept saying Happy Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas to me like 15 times. So anyway, I just move on. And she gets a little wad of money out, and it's six $1 bills, and she throws it down on the table. And I, I just find my mind kind of thinking, okay, well, what did she do to get into this? What, what, what drug is a part of her life? Or what bad choice did she make that caused her to be in this situation? And the waitress came up, and, and, and she said, what can I get for my $6? All I have is $6. And she said, I got to have a Pepsi. And the waitress is like, well, you know, if you just drink water, you're going to be able to get that. I got to have my Pepsi. And I found myself thinking, you know, that's really good. You're homeless and you got to have your Pepsi. And it just like in the middle of that, God just like smacked me upside the head and said, you're going to get up Sunday morning and talk about how blessed are the merciful. And you're judging someone you don't even know. You're judging someone whose life you've never even encountered. And I'm not going to tell you what I did in that situation. But I want to ask you, what would you do in that situation? Would you model mercy? Would you love the unlovely? Jesus says if you model mercy, you're blessed. Eight, pure, or six, excuse me, pure in heart. Jesus says blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Um, practicing purity is what Jesus is talking about here. This idea, this mindset that what you see is what you get. Hybels put Bill Hybels put it like this. Who are you when nobody's watching? When no one's around? When no one knows what your reaction is going to be? When no one knows what your choice is going to be? Are you a person of purity? Are you pure in heart? Seven, the peacemakers. Jesus talked about the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. It, it's an embarrassment that we even have to say this, but the church needs peacemakers. We need peacemakers throughout the church. We need peacemakers throughout Christianity because 
our humanity gets in the way too many times. And, and, I mean, I can't tell you the number of churches I know that have divided. I mean, they just divided. Sometimes they divided over theological reasons. Sometimes they divided over, um, you know, other reasons, personal reasons. But there's a division, and that's heartbreaking. And Jesus says, blessed are you if you're a peacemaker, for you'll be called the children of God. What's the idea? Promoting peace. Here, here's the theme I want to throw out. Changing the temperature in the room. I want to ask you, are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat? Are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat? What's a thermometer do? It takes your temperature, right? Stick it under your tongue, stick it under your elbow or under your armpit, somewhere else. It's going to take your temperature, right? And you're going to find out if you have a fever or not. No one laughed in first service. I thought that was kind of cute. But anyway, um, takes the temperature. But it doesn't really change it. Just the thermometer itself is not going to change anything. But a thermostat, on the other hand, what's a thermostat do? It adjusts the temperature. And I think what the kingdom of heaven on earth needs are Christian men and women and teens and children that are going to adjust the temperature for Christ. We're going to take a volatile situation, and we're going to try to bring about peace. I had someone come up to me after first service and say, you know, I don't usually say a lot after sermons, but I want you to know I try to be a peacemaker. I'm in a lot of volatile situations with Christians, and I try to promote peace. I said, praise the Lord, because that's what we need. We need people that embrace this idea of blessed are the peacemaker. And then number eight, the persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's interesting about verse 10 is that Jesus even gives some commentary on this eighth beatitude. He goes on in verse 11, and we'll put it on the screen, and says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who went before you. So are you prepared for persecution? Are you preparing for persecution? It's hard for me to even ask that question because we have it so good in the United States of America. I mean, for us, persecution is when someone makes fun of us for being a Christian. But do you realize that this man, Dr. T. Lund Kim, nine years ago, at the age of 80, was kidnapped and held captive for 61 days in the jungle because he's a preacher, because he's a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, there, there were times during that ordeal that he thought that day would be the last day on his life. They were prepared to kill him at that point. It's a really cool story I don't have time for this morning. I'm going to write about it in my blog tomorrow, so check out the blog. But here's my point. Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. So I'm going to do something we don't normally do. We don't normally take timeouts during sermons to do something, but I'm taking a timeout right now, and I want you to bow your head. I'm going to pray for Dr. Lund Kim as he continues to minister in, in, in a somewhat hostile environment, but we're going to pray for the persecuted church right now. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to gather, and we're so thankful that we live here in America where we are just so blessed. We have no idea. I thank you for Dr. Lund Kim and for his willingness, even after this kidnapping nine years ago, to continue with just a fervent spirit to minister in your name. God, we pray today for all those who minister and serve in places that are hostile toward Christianity. We know that statistics tell us that today, somewhere on our earth, brothers and sisters in Christ died because they were Christians. And so, my Father, I just pray that you will protect these men and women, these children, these teens. 
You will allow them to stay strong in the midst of persecution. And as Dr. Lung Kim has in his heart, that, that we won't shy away from this, but like this beatitude says, we'll rejoice and be glad because you've considered us worthy to suffer in your name. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And you, you can learn much more about this. I hope you'll spend some time today. The, the bulletin, I think, on page 2 has information on the, the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church at www.persecuted.com. That's the site for the Voice of Martyrs. And one of our own, Jake Follis, works for the, the Voice of Martyrs ministry. It's an incredible, incredible ministry. Okay, so we've talked a lot this morning about what's the kingdom of heaven look like on earth. How do we live it out? Poor in spirit, mourn, meek, hunger and thirst, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, uh, blessed are we if we're persecuted. How do we live that out? What's that look like? And, and the answer is really simple. And if you've been around here very long, you've probably heard it a time or two. Here's how we live it out. We be the salt of the earth and we be the light of the world. We embrace this calling to be the salt of the earth and to be the light of the world. Jesus said in Matthew 5, continuing on in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. They put it on its stand. I've lost my way here. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Two things. One, we are called to be the salt of the earth. And so just in your mind right now, think of how you can shake for Jesus Christ. Are you seasoning in your context for the Lord. That's the question I want you to think about. Are you seasoning your context for the Lord? Um, ever eat popcorn with no butter or no salt? Anybody like popcorn with no butter, no salt? You know, we call that air, basically, eating air, right? But you get a little bit of butter, and then you load it up with salt, and man, it, and it's probably not very good for you. So if you're a heart doctor, I apologize. But you get that salt on there, and I mean, it's just handful after handful. You just can't leave it alone. I mean, buttered popcorn with salt on it is like, it's just awesome. And in the same way, that's how we should be. In, in a world that can be kind of dull and blah, no hope, despair, let's season for Jesus Christ. Let's shake for Jesus Christ. Secondly, we're called to be the light of the world. Are you shining brightly for Jesus? Are you shining brightly for Jesus? Um, my prayer is that this salt of the earth, light of the world, won't just be another thing that we throw in at the prayer, but it will at the end of a prayer, but it will really be truly the meditation of our hearts. And so my bottom line for you is this, takes me back to my junior church days. This is my prayer for you that you can sing this song with passion. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let's shake and shine for Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the chance to, uh, to study these countercultural teachings. And it's my prayer that they, they won't just be cool sayings from 2,000 years ago, but that we'll truly look for opportunities to, to make a difference in your name. God, it's my prayer that we will be different in a world that can be too blah, in a world where everyone's trying to, to fit in and look like everyone else. 
I pray that they'll know us by our love. They'll know us by our mercy. They'll know us by our grace. They'll know us by your son, Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. It is a-